Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Lyle. How is everybody doing today? Come on. I am ready. Are you ready? Listen, our North Campus fired me up this morning, and uh, yeah, we're going for it today. So who's ready? That's better. That's better. I just got to make sure my Jenga set doesn't fall down. Then we wouldn't be ready, all right? But you guys good? Everybody good? How we feeling? Thanks for all the prayers. I appreciate it. Uh, we are back on track, and man, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. You feeling good? I'm feeling real good this morning. Good. Man, I was so disappointed that I wasn't able to be here with you all last week. Um, my, my friend Marcus here. What do you guys think of Marcus? Did you have a good time last week? Come on. He called me the other night and uh, super excited because um, he is going to be, um, he, he, he just got inked over at Kingdom Bound. So he's going to be, uh, he's going to be starting off CC Winans. Uh, so that's going to be pretty cool. So I want to encourage you to come out uh, this summer to Kingdom Bound. Check out our, our friend, our family. He's becoming part of the Freedom family here, actually. And uh, he is a blessing. So I want to invite you out there for that as well. So look at somebody and say, love you. All right. I just helped you single guys out. All right. Well, we're going to get into the message this morning, and uh, we are going to go right at, we're starting a whole new series, and, and we're going to dive into um, some different doctrines of God's Word. You ready with me today? We good? We going? Ready? All right. You've probably heard of the, a famous Danish writer, his name's Han Christian Andersen, anybody? 168 fairy tales, Little Mermaid kind of being like his most popular one. You know, who, whose favorite is The Little Mermaid? All right, we got a few, all right. One minute thing you might not know about Hans Christian Andersen, though, is that he was absolutely terrified of being buried alive. So as he traveled through Europe, he would wear a note that read when he slept at night, I only seem dead, just to make sure that people wouldn't bury him alive. Now, that's an interesting belief. It's a fear, right? But it's still a belief. And that, that fear, that belief affected his life. Another name you might know well is Charles Darwin. He lived uh, believing most of his life that he was actually ill, when in fact no one could actually diagnose what his illness was. A poet by the name of Sarah Teasdale, she grew up under an overprotective mom who would send her to bed and after every small sniffle or cough. And, and, and by age nine, Miss Teasdale believed she was a very sickly person. And as she grew up annually, annually, she would hibernate every single year, calling it a rest, buried in a bunch of blankets with a ton of medication all over the place. She believed something for so long her lifestyle started to portray her as being constantly sick. Tennessee Williams was also kind of a hypochondriac. He was convinced that he was slowly losing his eyesight. So even against doctor's word, he, he had four cataract surgeries, even though he didn't have cataracts. He also became convinced that his heart was going to stop beating, so he took pills and drank to curb the anxiety. It only became worse, though. Williams ended up dying by choking on a bottle cap, or an eye drop bottle cap. How do you do that, right? 
some pretty eye-opening stories of people who lived their lives convinced of something that really altered how they were living, which brings us to the main point of the message today. How you really live reveals what you really believe. And maybe you're sitting here for the first time today and you've kind of put Jesus in the category with Bigfoot, UFOs, and the Loch Ness Monster. Or maybe you don't really ascribe any reality to those, but maybe you do put your trust in Jesus and you're here and you're happy to, to leave everything behind for the sake of Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you, you kind of believe in Jesus, but really the words that he's spoken in his teachings haven't really affected your lifestyle all that much. When it all comes down to it, how you really live your life reveals what you really believe. You believe in this thing called life is rigged and that you can't succeed, you probably won't ever. If you believe that the rich just get richer and the poor get poor, you're probably more apt to not try too hard in life. If you believe that people are only out to get you, you probably put up a bunch of walls in your lives and sabotage even the relationships that you have. What your core beliefs are will provide outward evidence in your life. Your lifestyle is evidence of your belief system. Jesus, he taught this frequently. And there's one example that he gives us that's somewhat a culmination of his teachings. It's found in Matthew 7. I'd love for you to join me there this morning, whether it's in your notes, following on the screen, or in your Bible. Let's turn there. Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds, they were completely astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. According to Jesus, there are two types of people in this world. A person who builds on sand and a person who builds on the rock. A person who neglects his teachings and a person who embraces them. A fool or a wise person. Same story, different gospel. Luke chapter 6 verse 48. Jesus throws another detail into that wise builder. He says the wise man dug deep and laid foundation on rock. How deep does your foundation go? How deep have you dug so that your life does not fall in the midst of the storm? How deep have you dug so that your faith remains firm? According to Jesus, it's how much, not how much you know, how much you hear. It's about how you hear and how you apply. The teachings or the doctrines of God, of Jesus, are to be first listened to. Notice the same storm hit both houses. Both houses were hit. 
the wise man and the foolish man, both, both houses succumbed to this storm. Listening to God's word, coming to church, liking a popularized Christian meme, or listening to that podcast, all good. But ultimately, Jesus is saying it can be meaningless if you're not applying actually the words of God to your life. These words are not just to be listened to, but they're to be acted upon. And here lies the difference between a fool and the wise. It's the shoulda, woulda, couldas of following the teachings of Jesus. You've heard them, but you haven't built on them. I think there could be several of us in here in this room today that might have been like, man, I really wish I would have listened to what God said about this particular thing in my life years ago. I'm just now starting to pay attention to it. And we had that shoulda, coulda, woulda, those regrets in terms of I should have started following this teaching of Jesus earlier. The last parable he gives right here in Matthew 7 that we just read is a culmination of the entirety of these past three chapters. See, Jesus, as a rabbi, he was teaching in this moment. And rabbis, they would, they would do what's called pearl stringing. You ever see a bead of pearls? On one end of it, it's kind of the knot, and you put a pearl on, and you keep putting pearls on. They all touch each other. They build upon one another. And that's what Jesus was doing in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this is what Jesus concluded his best sermon ever in the world ever to be preached right here with these words of the foolish man and the wise man. He goes through in this sermon the how-tos of life from combating anxiety to dealing with lust to praying for those who oppose you to, to how to be blessed by God. All of these things that the words of God, and he's sharing these words and he's saying, hey, you got to listen to them and you got to act on them. But guess what? If the words of God are not changing how, how you live your life, then maybe you're not really building on them. If they're not changing how you treat your spouse, maybe you're not building on this rock that Jesus is talking about. If God's word is not changing how you do finances, maybe you're not building on the rock of his teachings. If God's word is not being applied to how you respond to its authority and to any other authority that God puts out before us, then maybe you're not digging deep in that place of your life. If God's word's not breaking down sinful habits in your life, guess what? There could be some cracks in your foundation. Cracks are not fun at all. Anybody ever have a crack in the foundation of their basement? A couple years ago when we had that crazy tsunami through here, El Nino, at least for us, Lockport became Riverport. Do you remember that? I was blessed to find there was a crack in my basement and there was a small stream of water entering through, uninvited, by the way, to my home. And sometimes in life, sometimes in our faith, we have to do the hard work of digging deep again so that we can address the cracks that are under the surface that keep us from the wisdom of life. It's not fun to have to fix a crack in your foundation. It takes a lot of work. You gotta dig 
deeper than that foundation itself to address the entirety of that crack. And sometimes, even in our own faith, in our walks with God, and in, in our over the years we've, we've been walking with the Lord, maybe we've picked up some different stuff. Maybe there's been some, some different doctrines that we grew up maybe earlier from in, in earlier years, and we're like, I'm not so sure that's 100% accurate to what God's word says. God wants us to dig those things up and address them so that our life and our faith looks a lot more like what Jesus is calling us to than what we've made ourselves. I asked this before, but did you, did you notice that in this story, both houses got hit with the same storm? Sometimes people think that their storm is worse than other storms or that others can somehow take the storms in life better than them. That's not necessarily true. It's really all about your foundation. It's about how you build your life on the foundation of God's word. You know, I can look across this room and even right now as we're worshiping this morning, there's some people in here that are just so heavy on my heart, but I'm so blessed to see your confession and your expression of praise to God, even in the midst of the things that you're going through in your life. You're a hero in my book because how this often works is when a storm hits, a lot of lives get blown over and taken out. But man, you're holding on to that foundation, to that truth, to that faith in Jesus Christ. Go, keep going. You got this because God's got you. It's that faith that we put and trust in Jesus. When we talk about the teachings of Christ, I'm not simply talking about a classroom type of setting uh, of the word of God. No, that's not what we're talking about really at all. See, the weight of God's word has to be more than our morning devotion. It can't just be the word for you today. The weight of God's word in our life has to begin to fill up and take over all of who we are. The Bible uses a word actually quite frequently in the New Testament that today I've heard it to be pretty negative, maybe a bit archaic. But really it was meant to build our lives around the greater whole of what God has said. It's the word doctrine. Now some might think that this is a word for seminary halls or students of theology, but all of us really should be students of theology because it's the study of God. Now I've heard it said, well I don't need doctrine, I just need Jesus. Well that's a nice little tagline. And that sounds cute and everything. But then if I were to ask you, well, why do you need Jesus? You would then explain to me why you need Jesus. And I'd say, well, there's your doctrine right there. Parents, what would it be like if your kids said, I just want all the benefits that you have, Dad. I just want some money. I just need, I need your, your ride. I need you just to bring me around town. But I don't really want your instruction, Mom or Dad. That would be an enjoyable day, right? 
right? You would give, give them neither money nor a ride to wherever they want to go. Jesus doesn't really desire to pour into a relationship with people who just want him, but not really what he says. You cannot separate the two, by the way. You can't. You cannot separate Jesus, the word, from his teachings. Because he imbibes them. He fulfills them. He's the fulfillment of them. And he's the Lord of lords and the king of kings. Your life exists because he spoke you into existence. Your eternity is in his hand. No, I think we have a, could have a much greater respect and reverence for who Jesus is. I think we need to have that in the church. So every doctrine from God's word is meant to create the culture of how you live your life. These truths explain who God really is, not a self-made man version of who God is. Doctrine tells us who we really are, why we are, why we're here. It explains about life. They explain purpose. They explain the values of which is really worth living for. Christian doctrine is applicable instruction for practical living by an authoritarian source that produces spiritual health. Did you notice that when Jesus was done sharing this sermon, everybody took a step back and was astonished and said, this guy, he has spoken out of authority. Authority, not like the scribes, not from those that are just reading out of the Bible, that we just kind of hear kind of the archaic teachings for me. No, he's speaking as one with authority in his life. The doctrines of God's word are not distant and dogmatic. They're meant to be practical in a guide of how to live your life. Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy who's overseeing a church in Ephesus. And he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the doctrine." Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, Timothy, he was a pastor, and he had a great responsibility to look out for his flock. But he also had to look out for his own faith and his own life in Christ, because there goes the pastor, there can go the flock. And that means all of us, we also have to keep a good guard and a good lookout for the doctrine of which we are abiding by. See, many Christians see bits and pieces of the Bible, but not necessarily the bigger picture. Doctrine helps us to see a larger viewpoint of what God is saying through his word. In his book, The Social Animal, David Brooks illustrates this kind of big picture idea from the game of chess. A series of highly skilled players and a series of player, non-players were, were kind of shown a series of chess boards with chess pieces all over them. About four or five pieces on these boards in and, and different groups and all that. And, and later afterwards, the grandmasters that were looking at these boards could tell every single piece that was on every single board that they looked at. They knew it. The average players that were there could only remember about five pieces that were on that board. Why did the chess grandmasters have such an amazing ability to remember the pieces? They didn't have superior IQs. 
They, 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 they weren't able to have some superhuman uh, power or anything. But the reason that the Grand Masters could remember the game board so well is that after many years of study of this game, they saw the boards in a different way. When average players saw the boards, they saw a group of individual pieces. But when the Grand Masters saw the boards, they saw formations of these pieces together. Instead of seeing just a bunch of letters on a page, they saw words and paragraphs and sentences. Expertise is about forming internal connections so that the little pieces of information turn into bigger network chunks of information. Learning is not merely about accumulating facts. It's internalizing the relations between pieces of information. For Christians, theology and doctrine are essential because they provide a bigger picture so that we can read Scripture and see not just individual pieces of information. It enables us to see the relationship between the pieces of information of how one thing that God says builds on other things of what God says. Look at somebody and say, God wants you to have a bigger picture. Say, bigger picture. Look at somebody else and say, bigger picture. God wants you to have a bigger picture as to how you see his word. He wants to have you see a much bigger picture in this life. I love taking people out of the country to short-term missions trip like Mexico or Nicaragua. Places like this because it gets people out of their western New York Americanized bubbles. And they see a bigger world that's out there. I love when people's eyes get opened. Saying, wow, I didn't realize this before. And they're just blown away by just the sheer magnitude of this world that we're living in. There's a bigger picture. When Jesus set out to train his 12 men, we know as the disciples, those first three years, these men, they only saw through their own lens of why it was advantageous for them to follow Jesus. It wasn't until Jesus ascended that they began to understand the bigger picture that, that Jesus was calling them into the whole world to preach this thing called the gospel. It wasn't until then. At the beginning of his letter to Timothy, Paul writes to him again regarding doctrine. It's actually another, it's all over these pastoral epistles. But it says in, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 3, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge, charge certain persons to teach no different doctrine. If you skip down to verse 11, he says, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul, there was a specific set of framework and foundation that the early church built themselves upon. The doctrines of God. And he goes on to say, in accordance with the gospel of God's glory. And that's the same charge to you and to me, church. No matter what church we're in. This is critical for all churches. We're not to teach strange doctrines. Paul goes on to say that in doing this, you can lead people into vain discussions and want to be leaders and teachers. People that make confident assertions, but assertions that are not necessarily backed up by the big picture of God's word. 
we find that Paul is warning Timothy that doctrine is extremely important to build the church upon. Now, he uses a certain term. He says sound doctrine. The word sound means healthy. It means functioning holistically with all parts working together. It's the opposite of having a debilitating sickness. Paul's saying stay away from diseased doctrines. In ancient time, this word sound would be the ideal way of opening or closing a personal letter to somebody. So instead of saying sincerely and then signing your name, they'd say, I'm wishing you total health and kind of sign their name. And that's the kind of doctrine, a doctrine that brings total health to you. That's what God wants. That's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the words of his. Sound doctrine is extremely important in the life of the believer and the building up of the body of Christ. Because guess what the number one thing that will mess with your faith is? Unsound doctrine. Oh yeah, the devil's, he's a big bad dude. The flesh versus the spirit, yeah, it's a battle. This world, oh man, watch out. But the number one thing that's going to mess your faith up is bad doctrine. And it's messed up a lot of faith out there. Notice Paul doesn't say right doctrine. He says sound doctrine. Now he's not, not saying right doctrine. But guess what? You can also have right doctrine and misapply it. And so you got to be careful with that as well. You could say that if you lack spiritual life or maybe courage to do the right things or the joy of the Lord or you lack hope or you're not exercising love, it's not just because it's not there. It might be because you have a little bit of unsound doctrine that is actually messing with the practicality of your Christian living. That's why doctrine matters so much. It paints your perspective of God, yourself, others in this life. Sound doctrine equals healthy outlook. But it doesn't stop there. Doctrine's imperative for many other reasons. I'm going to give you a number of reasons right now. First, it's important to God. And if it's important to God, it should be important to us. Let's not drown this out and say, okay, I get doctrine and teaching and all that kind of stuff. Let's renew our sense of what the New Testament church built itself upon so that we're building rightly as well, church. Because do you see our church? We're growing. Can you give some praise to God for that? And guess what? We want healthy things to grow. And so as we grow, we don't want to just grow because it's a cool place to go or because we've got great coffee at the coffee bar or anything else ridiculous like that. We want to grow because we are living on sound doctrine. Can I get an amen? The Apostle John says, whoever abides in the teachings of Christ has both the Father and the Son, but those that do not abide in his teachings, same word for doctrine, does not have him. You can't separate Jesus from his teachings. 
Another reason that doctrine matters is because it reveals understanding of the core truths of Scripture. Everything in Scripture is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man and the woman of God can be thoroughly equipped in this day that he's called us to. I don't want to be walking through this life not equipped to meet, to meet life when it hits me. I want to be fully equipped. I want to be mature, a mature son of God. I want to be fully equipped with all that God has for me so there ain't no storm that's going to take my faith out. Healthy doctrine grows you into healthy maturity. And these reveal the core truths of Scripture. The early church was a confessional church. I want to teach you something a little bit here. They were a confessional church. Has anybody ever heard of the Apostles' Creed? We have different creeds, even the Scriptures. I'm going to read one in a little bit. But see, we, we have these creeds. They were passed down through the generations because that's what the early church was. It was confessional. They didn't, we didn't have the entirety of the New Testament canon yet, right after Jesus Christ. It didn't, it didn't like plop, here it is. We didn't have that. And so the early church was confessional in its faith, meaning they spoke the confessions of the teachings of the apostles of where they took them from Jesus. And they passed them down as they would confess these teachings with their words. So that's an important understanding that we have also in the early church in terms of how they continue to pass along the teachings of God. Doctrines matter because conduct matters. Paul writes again to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. How to behave, that there's a right way that God calls us to behave. That our conduct is important. And then Paul gives us that, that doctrinal statement. He says this is what godliness is. We confess it. That Jesus was manifested in the flesh. Vindicated by the spirit. Seen by angels. Proclaimed amongst the nations. Believed on in the world. And then taken up to glory. That was a doctrine of the early church that they would pass along to get the right information and to continue to teach what, what Jesus himself, who he was and what he taught himself. Because it's so, in, so easy for wrong information to get in there. Again, I hear Christians are talking about their brothers and sisters in Christ and I'm wondering where the big picture is in life. Because man, if, if you're talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ and you're gossiping about them and your doctrine's off, you want to know why? Because your conduct's off. Because 
It says it's a sin in the Bible, and sin is not Jesus' way. And so you can justify it every which way that you want to, but it's off, and it's wrong. I could name a bunch of other things. I see Christians throwing things out there all the time on social media, and I have to wonder myself, do they realize that, that they're still, they're, they're supposed to be representing Jesus on this thing called social media? You, you, can't, you can't hide behind a screen and put something out there on your platform and be like, and, and pretend like that you can somehow separate that from God. You can't. I'm going to tell you here today, whether you're coming to the church or you're going home or you're going to the supermarket right after here, you can't separate the sacred from the secular. God goes with you everywhere that you go and he sees everything that you do. And so you need to make sure that your faith isn't built on the experiences of your life or what somebody else is doing or what somebody else is saying. You need to build yourself on the doctrines of Jesus Christ, his teachings, so that no storm that comes against you is going to falter your faith. I had a friend years ago, some crazy things were being taught at his church. It affected him. Ultimately, it split his marriage. And now, he's not even living for the Lord anymore. It pains me. It grieves me. Because he knows the truths. But yet, the experience and some of the wrong input and information messed up his life. It should not be. And I'm not throwing judgment out there at anyone, but so many times we can live in a way that's contrary to Christ and we go about justifying our behavior rather than repenting of it and turning and following Jesus. We'll just leave that there for now. But doctrine matters because deception is deceiving. Here's the thing about deception. You don't know that you're deceived. The only way that you can, you can see that you're, if you're deceived or not is by lining it up with the teachings of Christ. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but instead are ravenous wolves. Listen, if a fruit of the person's life doesn't match up to their claims of spirituality, my recommendation is stay away. Jesus says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. They look like everybody else on the outside, but the fruits, you're going to be able to see the fruit of their life. And if what they're producing is diseased, what they're preaching is diseased too. Listen, I can't tell you how much as a pastor I'm on guard for the body. It's like the number one thing that I do from false information from things that people are teaching or saying or whatever. It, it, it's a full-time job. <laughs> it is. Dear Lord. <laughs> but it's so easy for wrong information. And here's the deal. There's, there's, the, there's a difference between immaturity and, and, and those trying to deceive you got to understand that fruit as well. 
Moving on, doctrine matters because it builds faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen, this Jenga set, you've all been wondering what I'm going to do with this. I don't even know what I'm going to do with it. I'm just kidding. I do know what I'm going to do with it. All right, this Jenga set is, is kind of like our faith and our house. You know, but along the way, it doesn't, ju- it doesn't just happen like this. Along the way through life, whether it's, it's different things that we've learned or been taught, there might be some cracks, some holes in the things that we've learned along the way. That's why, and I've mentioned this before, that's why there's this whole thing now in, 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 in American Christendom called deconstruction. America, we have our own class of, of things that we do in Christianity. It's like we got to always find all these problems. And, and so that we're now on deconstruction, all right? And, and we're now deconstructing all that we ever learned before and, and, and in hopes of being a better person, then we find out we're still just as messed up as we be, were before and we still need Jesus' grace in our lives. Come on, somebody. Right? And, and so, but, but along the way, we, 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 we've learned and we've picked up just different things that, that haven't necessarily been healthy. And there's some, some holes in, in, in our faith. And, and, and we've... We, we, we might not even know that fully. We, it might be accidental. But, but these things kind of cause our structure to not really be built all that wonderful and all that great. Because you'll notice that, you know, as you start to put some holes in your faith, you know, the wind comes along and starts to blow things off and, 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 and that other, that other, those other cracks and those things that we learn just, it's not as steady and the winds and the storms of life, they come and I'm going to get it one of these times, I promise you. I didn't do this at North Campus and I know now why I didn't do it and I shouldn't have even attempted it here, but it's going to come down because storms come and if you're not built right, guess what? Yeah, it happened. All right. Praise the Lord. The house fell. All right. No. All right. (laughs) Goodness. Where am I? I don't even know. All right. But listen, your faith, it'll grow and you can build your life on the whole counsel of God if you start to fill in those places. Doctrine matters because it helps you to play defense. Paul told the Philippian church that they were were partakers in the gospel and partners with him in the defense of it. Listen, no longer can you live your life just a little happy Christian. God has called you to defend his gospel. God does not need you to defend him. Let me just make that clear. God is God's good in that part. There ain't nobody taking God down, all right? But he said, defend the gospel. Defend it. Come against the mindsets and the ideologies and the philosophies that that try to paint Jesus differently. It's up to us to defend the gospel in this generation and to continue to see the gospel move forward. It's not just something that we defend because the gospel by nature is offensive as well. Offensive in both ways. It plays offense and it offends. 
We must be people with good apologetics in this day. We gotta be able to defend why we believe what we believe. Listen, if you don't really know how to put in words what you believe, it's gonna be really hard for you to defend this thing and you gotta really question and ask, do I really believe what I'm saying that I'm believing? Doctrine divides and it unites. It, look at all the denominations in the world. A lot of denominations out there. And often, separation would take place because they were divided on doctrine. Now let me just say something about this. There are some primary doctrines that can't be divided on. But there's some seconds and thirds that we can have discussions on. Because the doctrines and the teachings of Christ also unify. And God wants us to actively, actively work at the bonds of peace and unity as well. That's a biblical command. Sometimes there's people thinking that their job is just to like, just divide. It's like, no. We're commanded to unify this thing called Christianity and our faith together. Doesn't mean we can't have some disagreements. Doesn't mean we have to, to be out of fellowship with one another. A popular belief nowadays that's growing is a belief of universalism, which says that Jesus died, rose again, and he did so for everybody for all times. Therefore, nobody really needs to put their faith in Jesus Christ because they'll be saved no matter what. Is that a false doctrine? It's a false doctrine, thank you. If you have questions on that and you do believe that, come talk to me afterwards. But uh, it, it, there's, there's some truth in it that Jesus did die for everybody. He died for the sins of the entire world. But it doesn't just mean that his sacrifice just necessarily covers everybody. Because we have a response to God and that it's faith. We have to accept Jesus Christ. It's who he said he was. Years ago when Jenny and I were just engaged, we lived about an hour apart up in northern New York. And it was before I was coming into ministry back home. That was the, the plan, that was trajectory. But in these about 10 months or so, um, we lived, we lived uh, distance apart and we wanted to find a church halfway in between. And so we were looking for churches. We couldn't find a church. One day, a person in Jenny's uh, apartment complex invited her to come to church, this lady was really nice, very bubbly, and Jenny was like, okay, we'll, we'll try it out. And so, so we decided that next week we were gonna go to church with this lady, and it happened to be on a Sunday night. We, we went there and everything, kind of came in, greeted some different people, and then this lady brought us in, and she brings us all the way to the front. We were sitting right in the front row, all right? Meaning like you can't escape type of deal. I think she planned it, all right? Um, and even what was worse, we don't even know to this day what it was. But like we're in the front row and something got us laughing. You ever had that experience where you're laughing and you can't stop laughing. And you pretend like you're coughing because you know like people are like, what is wrong with this person? <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Well, it probably happened, had to do with the fact that Every time a guy would get up on the stage, he'd say something and everybody would stand up and clap. We're going to try that right now. It makes me feel better. No. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. But <laughs> love you. Um, but but we didn't realize this at the time of going to this church service. But we're actually telephoned into this church's national headquarters, and so. There was this big conference going on in Ohio that all their splinter churches were telephoned into. So we were listening to all these things going on in Ohio. And, and, and we would stand up and clap and we had no idea what was going on. And through the course of some different interactions with what was happening in that service, we are like, I don't think this is for us. But we were there for three hours. All right, I've got another Two and 15 minutes at least, all right? So buckle up, all right? Um, no, but we were there for three hours. And, and when it was over, it was over for us. Um, we said, no, we're not going to come back here. But this lady really was persistent and she wanted to meet with Jenny and she wanted to bring her pastor's wife with her. And so I started doing a little bit of research and, and I came to find out that this church was actually a part of a bigger organization called The Way. Yeah. And, and so, you know, they wanted to meet with us. And I'm like, I'm just out of Bible school, coming back to get into ministry. I'm like, let's do this. <laughs> right? And so we invite them over and we, you know, put on some snacks and coffee and all the stuff, you know, and they're starting to talk to us. And I'm just like, wait, wait a second, what was that? Every, every, every couple sentences I would just kind of interject, you know, some different things. And we started to talk about the way. And I started to ask some pretty heavy questions. And they started talking about their translation of the word of God. And they started to bring out some Greek and I had a couple of semesters of Greek fresh in my pocket. And I can remember, but it was like a super sensitized moment from the Spirit of God in the midst of this because they started translating certain words. And, and I don't remember much Greek anymore. And uh, I can't say that I was like fluent in Greek by any means but the words that they were starting to use, I could pinpoint and say, no, that's a wrong translation. This is what it says, and this is in Koinonia Greek. And just go through it and really call them out on what they were trying to kind of bring the wool over our eyes, if you know what I mean. But the real deal came down to, who do you say Jesus is? And they would not get on the same page with me that Jesus is God. And that's where I said, if Jesus is not God, then you be on your way. <laughs> Come on. Right? Come on. It unites and it divides. You got to know the truths of Scripture. Because you never know who God will put in your path. And if you can't defend your faith, do you really believe it anyways? Doctrines help to separate truth from interpretation. It's really easy to get caught up in our own interpretations of Scripture. Got to be careful about that. Finally, doctrine matters. Because knowing God's ways helps us to know God himself. 
They point us to who he is and the truth of what God has declared of who he is. They show us who he is, and through them, we can understand who God really is. J.I. Packer wrote, we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place for those who do not know about God. The Proverbs say that when you search out God's ways and his wisdom, your knowledge of him will grow. You'll get to know who he is. doesn't mean you'll be as smart as God. It just means that your knowledge of who he is will grow. And that is so important to your life because you can't love a God that you don't know. You can't. You can't say, I love Jesus, but don't know anything that he says. Do you really love him? Do you love what he says or do you love the idea about him? You can't love a God that you don't know. And this is the place where all doctrine starts. Give me five more minutes. Promise it won't be like that church service. You can still stand up and clap at the end, okay? (laughs) Thank you. But sound doctrine prevents us from the error of making God into our own image. I believe it was Voltaire who said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image. And man has been trying to repay the favor to God ever since. Andrew Dragos writes, Christianity claims that without revelation is summed up in universally accepted doctrinal statements like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Our devices will lead us astray. We become what we worship, which was the tragedy of Israel's perennial struggle with idolatry. We start to make God in a different image of who he really is. That is why doctrine matters. And that's why every doctrine begins and ends with God himself. Because you can't serve and love a God that you don't know. And when we start to construct a God that we want to serve rather than the God that cannot be added to, all the other doctrines go by the wayside. We can't take for granted who this God is. From humanity's beginning, we find that mankind had a hard time believing who God said he was. We want to add to him. Adam and Eve ate from the fruit of the tree because they didn't trust God's word about who he really was. They believed a talking snake. I mean, come on. We don't go far into history from there to a world of polytheism, a world with many gods. By the time we hit Genesis chapter 12, we've got all of the world serving all these thousands of different gods. Societies and civilizations worshipped multitudes of gods. All the while the God of the Bible, Yahweh, claimed to be the one true God. But the world didn't believe him and adopted more and more gods that they created in their own image. Somewhere along the way the cultures began to practice henotheism. They, They would worship one God themselves but acknowledge there's still plenty of gods all around. We find that in the in the pages of scripture too. Like when the Philistines, when they defeated the Israelites in 1 Samuel 6-ish, and, and they brought the Ark of the Covenant, 
the, the God of the Israelites into their temple under their God, Dagon. They still acknowledged the Israelite God. But all this was in direct contrast to what was already revealed about God. That he was and is a monotheistic God. There's only one God and no other gods exist apart from God. And this was an absurdity to most societies from ancient times. And we wonder about that, but guess what? We make God into so many images, it's the same thing here today. Until Moses. And God shows up in a burning bush. And Moses asks a really good question. I'm, 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 I'm landing the plane here, folks. Exodus 3. God said to Moses, or Moses said to God, say, if... I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers had sent me to you. And they ask, what's his name? What shall I say to them? That's a good question. Because God had not really revealed his name in that way. Yeah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they, they kind of had these revelations of who God was, but they, they didn't even fully know what to call God. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The first thing that you have to know about God is that God is who he is. And there's none like him. He can't be any less of who he is. He can't be any more of who he is. He is who he is, period. In fact, there's no greater fact in the entirety of the universe outside of God. God is who he is. It's the foundation of every bit of truth that we even know because if God was not, we would be not. God is. There's nothing more foundational to your life than this fact that God is who he is. It's foundational to your marriage. Be, why even get married or why not change marriage to be something different, right? When we take God out of it, sorry, you can't take God out of things and then redefine it. It's foundation to how you live your life. If he's not, there's no need to follow what he says. It's foundational to your job, your family, how you think, your health, your eternity, your money, everything. The universe lives and moves only because God is who he is. God absolutely is. He is absolute in every way. You cannot get beyond that. Maybe you were a kid like me one day. Anybody a kid like me one day? You ask the question, where did God come from? Anybody ever asked that before? We wonder that, don't we? It's something that blows our minds, something incomprehensible to our understanding. And that's what God is doing to Moses right here. He's saying, before I give you my name, I want to give you my being. I absolutely am. There's no question of my existence. There's no other God 
that is like me, I am. God absolutely is. He's the source of all life, the creator of the universe. He's the word that holds all things together. He's the painter of beauty and the sustainer of all things. He absolutely is. Are you amazed that God absolutely is? Because we should be astonished at who God is. It's not just a Sunday morning topic. He is everything. Are you astonished at who he is? Sometimes I grieve because we lost the wonder of who God is. God puts the color in the black and the white, my friends. He never had a beginning. He'll never have an end. He can't be out of being before space and time and matter what God was. He is absolute. He's completely independent. He needed no one to make him. He's always been. Everything that is not God depends on God. This world, this people, the sun and the stars and the moon, every living creature is secondary to the primary of the absoluteness of our God. He is constant. He can't be added to. He cannot be subtracted to. He cannot be multiplied. He's not becoming anything ever because he always is. And there is no more than you can add to a God like this God. He is the absolute standard of goodness. He is the absolute standard of mercy, of truth, of love, of holiness. God is absolute and he needs nothing, my friends. So don't make this God common. Don't make him just a peripheral thought. He is who he is, and he absolutely is, and he is absolute. Come on, somebody. He is the great I am. God is who he is, my friends. And there is nothing outside of him. 